Hello, welcome to another edition of the Talk Among Us podcast. This is Mark Vier, your host. Um, yeah, it's been a while. It is uh, late July, and it, yeah, so it's actually been a couple of months now. I'm real consistent with these. I have lots of really good ideas, though, and someday I'm going to do all of them. Um, and this is one that I've, we've, that I've had for quite a while. Um, so this one's going to be one of your more uh, wrestling nerd-specific episodes, so if that scares you, turn away, but it's probably worth listening to because it's probably going to be ridiculous, even if you don't know so yeah, so one of the things that we've wanted to do for a while is, um, well, one of my pa- favorite pastimes or hobbies is um, watching kind of random old uh, wrestling pay-per-views, mostly from the uh, WWE Network, which covers pretty much all of the Amer- major American companies. Um, but sometimes we do other things too, and um, my, my favorite add-on to that hobby is having Sarah watch ridiculous old 80s and sometimes earlier pay-per-views um, and kind of watching her reaction to it and that's what we did last night so uh who's sarah oh hi hi sarah you're here um yeah this is sarah sarah is my girlfriend of several years um and uh she's my uh she's my cto of my company she makes sure that my uh, email works and um most of the time and she's the uh person that makes sure the podcast records so she's the engineer too yeah do you have anything you want to say while, while we're getting, getting started? So I grew up in northern Indiana. So it's not like I didn't do wrestling when I was a kid. It was just sort of part of the environment. Uh, but I felt a lot of shame. Never really let myself fully get into it. And then I start dating this guy named Mark. And he invites me over to watch a TLC pay-per-view. And now wrestling is a thing that we watch together. Yeah, and you, we've, I mean, and we have different tastes in wrestling, and but we go to live shows sometimes not together, because that's <laughs> because that's where we've gotten. I mean, you seem to like things a little bit more technical. Yeah, I'm definitely more into the like the fake real fight type situation, whereas your thing's a little more of the esoteric comedy. Yeah, I mean, I like dick jokes. I like fart jokes i i enjoy it when wrestlers are celebrating lgbtq people that kind of thing i i really just like watching people get hit in the head (laughs) (laughs) spoken like a native bostonian true so what we did last night was um we've watched so sarah and i have watched a couple of um uh mid 90s halloween havocs that we may re revisit at some point but we went back to the original halloween havoc which was a uh wcw slash uh nwa because they still technically were the nwa at that point in 1989 uh and it was their first halloween havoc which was their wait for it october pay-per-view um it ran from 89 until i think towards the end of uh tna i'm not whoa I think the last one on the network is in like the early 2000s. Yeah, 2000. So it went to the very end. Um, it's one of the pay-per-views that WWE has not revived, um, which kind of sucks because it's a great concept. Most of the shows were pretty... I wouldn't trust the modern WWE to try and revive <sighs> this masterpiece. Yeah, I mean, when I say WWE, do I mean NXT? I mean, because really the only thing they've managed to revive well has been War Games. Like when the when the merger first happened, they did keep some of the WCW traditional pay per views around, um, to some extent or another, but for the most part, they've all gone away. Um, so yeah, Halloween Havoc was great. So this first one was in uh was in Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Civic Center, which I guess was actually technically Convention Hall and Civic Center because it's a really weird looking building. I thought that's one of the things that I noticed during the show. It's, not, it's definitely not a traditional sports arena, which is why I looked at media here. And it's actually a convention hall. That's why they didn't have traditional bleachers. Okay, so sometimes the rooms of the different things that we watch start to blur together a little bit. Is this the one that just looks like a big, weird room? We, I mean, we, we literally just watched this. 
You see, you remember this thing where I just don't remember certain things? Yeah, it's more of a convention center okay. looking than it was an arena, which it was is why six, I just yeah. decided was, to look it up. It was way smaller than like the convention center room where we saw that first USA. Uh, no, it was bigger room. than that. Uh, it was bigger? According to this, it says the capacity for concerts is about 12,000. Oh. So it was probably somewhere in that ballpark. All right. 10,000. I believe you. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, that's not there anymore. They tore it down. Oh. Much like Halloween Havoc, it's gone. Oh, you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about the WCW arena when we watched the WCW thing the other night. You mean like the Saturday night show? We watched something with Heyman. Oh, that was the Evolved show at the ECW. God damn it. I can't keep the shit straight. And yes, that is a, like a smaller, like actual, that is an actual bingo uh, bingo hall hell yeah yeah that's i think that holds about a thousand people i've never been well finally, that is philadelphia fi- though <laughs> but finally our our interests align bingo yeah. and wrestling and re- <laughs> so yeah so we kicked this thing off with um let's see the first match was uh tom zank who was then going by the z-man versus mike rotunda now, for a little background, Tom Zank had been, a, uh, been in the WWE, left over a contract dispute, came to the WCW where he stunk the joint out for a couple of years. I, I would assume that they probably had some expectations for him. He was a good-looking guy with a good build, super amazing 80s mullet. Oh, um, there were so many incredible mullets in this. But, but overall, I mean, yes, he was a good-looking man, but I was just kind of struck by the... The difference in sort of, I, I'm tr- struggling to find the word here. It's, everyone is a lot hotter now. Like everyone. Even like down to the announcers. Okay. Well, I mean, if you want to take a, if you want to take a jump back here for a second, <laughs> um, Jim Ross is on commentary, which I think at this point, Jim Ross is actually younger than I am now, which is weird because he was old, seemed old then. Yeah, he's he's sort of in this weird sort of perpetual state of like suspended animation. Yeah, and and, and he has the exact same voice, and it's just coming out of this significantly younger body. Sure, voice is a little more high pitched back then. But we also have the legendary Gor- uh, Gordon Soley backstage, which this was sort of I think one of Sarah's first interact. Well, it wasn't an interaction. Well, I'd never seen him before. Yeah, yeah. she had never. It was her introduction. Gordon Stoll would be the word. I uh, with Chris Cruz and Bob Cottle, there were some interesting. By interesting, I mean really poorly done backstage interview segments. There's a lot of cocaine involved. Yeah, this was the '80s wrestling, so there was <laughs> lots of cocaine. So yeah, back to the first match. Uh, Tom Zank or the Z-Man defeated Mike Rotunda, who is of course the fi- father of Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas, both in the WWE currently. Um, he was also IRS Erwin R. Scheister, the irs agent wrestling gimmick of the wwe in the 90s yeah um the tax man is scary this is true incident heel shit yeah and this was a it was a match it was um yeah (laughs) i just remember one of the announcers saying something like you know the ladies call him the z-man and it's it just reminded me of of like more like now when a wrestler like especially in the indies will start tweeting something like you know some people have been calling my new move the dazzler or something stupid you know it's like not a single person is calling it that you're just trying to get this name over right they're just trying to make it will it into existence right whereas now with the wwe they would just be they would just be repeatedly banging into your head they wouldn't be saying women call him they would be like tom zink the Z-Man on the dropkick. They would just repeat it over right. and over again. Which, while super obnoxious, somehow seems more honest. Okay. Sure. <laughs> um, anyway. I don't, like, I can't really imagine that some woman would walk up to him in a bar and be like, Here, oh, I hear the you're the Z-Man. Z-Man. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, Rotundo had some great, I, I'm a big Rotundo fan, going back to his, uh, even back to his original WWE run, which I vaguely remember as a kid when he was uh, partners with first Barry Windham and then Dan Spivey, um, who we'll, we will mention again later. Um, I think that was the U.S. Express, at least one incarnation of that. Fun, fun trivia fact, the I Am A Real American song that Hulk Hogan 
came out to was written for that team. Oh. Because they, like, carried flag. This is the, the U.S. College. Express. Yeah, this were, is the college they, guy. They were the college guys. Okay. Yes, a different t- yes, different gimmicks, but same guy. So, would wrestling of this era have considered the like the the jock thing heel or face? It, the fact that he was like a real amateur wrestler. Yeah, it would have been either. I mean, the the varsity club were heels. Okay, but um, I, it was just the way that they like because they cheated and they had Kevin Sullivan as their manager and. I like Kevin Sullivan. We know because he wears a caftan and has really weird eyebrows. And is and is evil, sort of. Kind of. Or spooky. Yes. He's definitely spooky. Yes. Um, I'm not sure who was actually on creative at this point. Um, it's I feel like in this era there was a lot of bouncing around between Kevin Sullivan and Dusty and uh Your mother. Oh my mother was not involved with creative <laughs> and uh Ole Anderson. But uh I I don't know. Doesn't really matter. Anyway, yeah, Tom Zank, dead. This is a reoccurring theme of watching 80s pay-per-views. Everybody, dead. (laughs) I mean, everyone might as well be dead to me because I didn't know who they were in the first place. Yeah, they're just imaginary characters. Fine. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, that was a match. And then there was a little promo backstage with uh, Chris Cruz interviewing Bruno San Martino, who is the guest referee for the main event because he's the only man in the world scary and tough enough handle the action my assumption is is that because bruno and vince hated each other that the wcw was just desperate to get bruno to give them a sort of thumbs up so they just paid him to be a referee in a match showed up yeah i guess his i was just sort of struck by just how very lumpen his face appears is lumpen a word yes okay containing lumps okay um i get what you're saying he definitely has cauliflower I mean, the no, guy, no, I mean, like in his actual face, not the appendages attached to said face. I mean, the guy wrestled like 4,000 matches. Well, I, of course, I'm sure. Uh, but it was just sort of a kids don't do wrestling sort of. Sure. Which is what's actually really funny is, is that if you go, I'll pull some up for you later. But if you find some photos of Bruno from like the last like five or 10 years of his life. So which was like, he only died a couple of years ago. If you find pictures of him in the past decade, he looked better in his like 70s and 80s than he did in that era that you just saw. Even when I was a kid, like he looked really old. Like I thought he was in his 60s or 70s back then. And then when I saw photos of him in the past decade, I was like, oh, Bruno. And it was. He like was in great shape. There's actually a photo of him next to Rick Flair, who's considerably, you know, a decade, decade and a half younger. And Bruno, it's like night and day of a person that took care of themselves and Ric Flair. Well, I mean, alcohol abuse on that level in general will just make you look like absolute shit. <laughs> <That's good> timing. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway. Oh, yeah, so the backstage interviews like are done in front of a backdrop that's like a, a moon in, behind a tree, like a spooky tree. Well, it's Halloween Havoc. Yeah, I mean, I get why it's there. It makes sense. It just doesn't look great. But it's spooky. Sort of? Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, a spooky tree. <laughs> the next match was the Samoan SWAT team with Oliver Humperdinck, who at this point is the big kahuna because he now wears a Hawaiian shirt open, I guess because he's managing Polynesian wrestlers. So his gimmick is I hang out on the beach. It makes about as much sense as any, and as weird as that whole thing was, it might have been my favorite look of the night. Oh, I'm a, I mean, I'm a fan of the of the open Hawaiian shirt. Um, <laughs> and of course, the, the Samoan SWAT team are Batu, the Samoan Savage, and Samu, who are people that you know because they've been repackaged a billion times, and they're all from the same wild Samoan lineage, because I'm not going to try to pronounce the actual family name. But um, yeah, one of them is Rikishi. The other is the Tonga kid who is, again, repackaged into a million different things. They're also, their kids are pro wrestlers now. There's Jacob Fatu, who's the uh, MLW champion, is the Samoan Savage's son. The Usos of the WWE are Fatu's son, whose Fatu was also Rikishi. So yeah, anyway, the Samoan family. Right. Versus the Midnight Express and Steve Williams with Jim Cornette. 
This is the second Midnight Express lineup, the one with Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, not Dennis Condry. Sarah does not know what I'm talking about yet because she is unaware that there is going to be a Midnight Express versus Midnight Express rivalry. But we are going to watch the shit out of that. I, I like how meta and sort of, you know, crossing the streams that is. Yeah. But, but this Midnight Express, I could not get over how much the two of them looked like my high school guitar teacher. And she did pull up a photo of the guy, and he did kind of look like Bobby E, and she's not wrong. <laughs> um, we're going to have to watch some other Midnight Express stuff so you can see it, because they were a fantastic team. They had a great rivalry with the Road Warriors, great rivalry with the Rock and Roll Express, great rivalry so ex- with— Oh, Express versus Express, in addition to being versus the Express. Was there an Express, Express, Express three di- three-way tag match? Don't think there was. Can I go back in time and book it? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um. One thing I'm going to, before we get going, because now I'm actually looking at Wikipedia and I have the times of each match, and these matches ran really long. Like, that Tom zank Mike Rotundo match was 13 minutes long. Yeah. Like, this match was, in modern-day WWE, these things would be, the intros would be longer than the matches. Yeah. Like, only New Japan does matches. Well, actually, I'm sorry, AEW does too because they haven't figured out how to trim down a fucking match yet. (laughs) They're learning. I know, I know. I, I love it still they need to trim it up um so yeah midnight express with steve williams who is of course dr death steve williams dead um dr death is dead yes and was also a member of the varsity club as he was a athlete at university of oklahoma yeah there was a lot of dudes in from the varsity co- yeah collegiate singlets throughout the yes night. um yeah so the swim and swat team won uh Oh, yeah, they came out, the Smoke Swat team came out doing, like, a spinning torch thing, which it was, I... It was, like, a nod towards doing pyro, but not quite. Yeah, it was cool. Um, yeah, and, and something else, because I've been trying to sort of place this entire event within, like, the greater timeline of, like, what was happening in the world. Um, so, I mean, we have Dr. Death here, right? Mm-hmm. And it's 1989. And Dr. Kevorkian's first patient, according to Wikipedia, was 1990. Yeah, I mean, I... I it's, just, it's just alliteration. He's yeah, I mean, I absolutely his... was aware of Dr. Death, E. Williams, much earlier in my life than I was Jack Kevorkian. Okay. Well, I mean, that would make I'm going to assume the term Dr. Death probably is something that has been, has reoccurred in popular culture. Oh. I would, then... right? It's, there's alliteration, it's scary, like... There's probably some Batman comic where he, like, fought Doctor something, right? Probably. I mean, I was five years old and listening to Raffi when this thing happened, so, you know. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, anyway, the Samoans won that one. Then there was a Tommy Rich Cuban assassin match that I'm going to be honest with you, we skipped because I gave no shits about it whatsoever. Yeah, it was like, uh, I, I, it was a Blues Brother versus the Poor Man's Ric Flair. Yeah, I mean, the Blues Brother was supposed. I mean, he was a Cuban guy. He was just like a Cuban dude. He had a he had a hat, yes, like a pork pie fedora kind of thing. Cubans wear those in Cuba. He did not read Cuban to me. Look, he may not have been Cuban. I'm sure that none of these people, except for the Samoan SWAT team, are actually the ethnicity that they purport to be. This is the '80s. I mean, one of the the Samoan savage, i.e., the Tonga kid, is Tongan. No, he's Samoan, but he was the Tonga kid as a gimmick. Oh. Not Tongan. And was supposed to be the cousin of Jimmy Schnooker, who was f- from Fiji. So I don't know. I mean, Creative doesn't know map. It's fine. Yeah, and it was way worse in the 80s. At least now they try to kind of be in the right neck of the woods. <laughs> uh, so yeah, up next, we had... Oh, actually, there was a uh, Gary Hart, who I fucking love. He's my like, spirit animal, also dead. Um, Terry Funk promo section with Gordon Soley backstage, and I forgot that they had that JTEX, the Japan Texas Corporation gimmick, that they actually had a name for that faction. Completely forgot that until we watched that. Is this when I fell asleep? I don't think so. No. You may have just been ignoring it. It happens. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, next match was the Fabulous Freebirds, which is the Garvin Hayes version, and they defeated the Dynamic Dudes with Jim Cornette once again. 
Um, the dynamic dudes, of course, being Johnny Ace, who's Johnny Laurinaitis, and Shane Douglas. This was a first for Sarah on all of these people, on Shane and Johnny Ace. So I'm going to be doing a deep dive with her at some point for some kind of more 90s Shane Douglas. Um, yeah. I mean, they were, they were cool skate bros. Yeah, I mean, they totally weren't. It was like such a weird, bad gimmick, but like... It was like it weird was weird bad gimmicks in wrestling. It was the time. Like clearly neither of those guys. Like they carried skateboards to the ring and wore like Ocean Pacific gear and stuff. And clearly neither of them were like one because like I think one was like from Pittsburgh and one was from Chicago. Like they, they, neither of them have ever seen a fucking beach. Um But yeah, here we are. And of course what what they started uh, hinting to during the match was the fact that Jim Cornette was managing the Dynamic Dudes and had also been managing the Midnight Express and like, oh, it's a good thing that like he was able to balance both. Of course, we're building towards an eventual Jim Cornette's going to turn on one of the teams. Oh. Because you couldn't manage two tag teams. Okay. Jealousy. Yes, I'm sure. Envy. Yes. Yeah. Feelings. Feelings, yeah. So, um... um and then he grows up to be the world's grumpiest man on the internet. Because uh, uh, the other thing during this match, I thought was really just sort of beautifully late eighties, early nineties, was the stay in school PSA from the from the announce desk. Oh yeah, because one one of them. Oh yeah, because the uh, dynamic dudes both had college degrees. Yeah, they had something to fall back on. Yeah. Yeah. That's a thing. I just really appreciated how it would appeal to the kids, you know, with their skateboarding and their cutting class and I'm sure their marijuana smoking. It's like, get your college degree so that you've got something to fall back on, kids. Yeah, it was it was very Steve Buscemi. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, this is your brain on drugs. It was a little bit more subtle. No, but uh, Jim Ross with the, with the uh, good points. Yeah. Always. College degrees, they really pay off. <clears throat> um, <laughs> up next, we did we have another? Oh. oh, this was Scott Steiner. Yeah. So the next, yeah, there was a Steiner promo backstage. Whatever, it's typical Steiner stuff. It's before they go completely mad, but it's. I did not recognize him. So this was your first time seeing a not like not, pop a not pump. Pop, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is these are the Steiners that I grew up. Yeah. This is pre chainmail, pre Shonies, like. I could not. I had to pull up a photo of the big Papa Pump that I know and hold it up to the TV because I could not put my head around it. Yeah, the um, I don't know how into steroids Scott was at this point, but not he at clearly all what it looked like well, he was a good. He was a good was beefy, bill beef, but, but he yeah, wasn't like, he clearly like, has had developed an amazing relationship with HGH or something because he still looks enormous. Oh yeah. Um. But yeah, yeah. So I did. I was unaware that you had never really. You were unaware of this version of young, innocent Scott. I just. I guess I never imagined that he was ever a child. That he just has always existed in this crushing weights, my freaks universe. No, at one time he was a he was a face, and uh, he had a luxurious mullet. Yeah. He was actually like. He was the smaller, like, well, he was taller than his brother, but he was the more speedy, less powerhouse of the team. Yeah, he was definitely playing the role of little brother yeah. in this situation. Um, he is much bigger than Rick, especially now. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, versus Doom, <laughs> which were the surprise team that woman, <clears throat> also dead, uh, at the hands of Chris Benoit, uh, woman had there was an angle where like woman tried to seduce Rick Steiner, but like she really was just playing a trick on him, and it was to fool him, and she was gonna bring in this team to uh, to beat them up, and it was Doom, which we find out later on down the line is Butch Reed and Ron Simmons, Ron Simmons of APA WWE, damn fame. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, basically the gimmick is two really big muscular black dudes. In black masks and matching black gear. No one no one knew who they were. Yeah. But JR called them the Doom. Yeah, one of them definitely referred to them as the Doom. It was definitely JR. Okay. Um they spent a lot of time on commentary talking about 
<laughs> the bodies of doom. Yeah. Like a, a, an inordinate. Uh, inordinate. And in, yeah, that word. Amount of time of talking about how big their chests were and their shoulders and stuff. Yeah, I mean, throughout the night there was just some general, you know, weirdness around people who aren't white. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's wrestling, yeah, wrestling in the 80s. Yeah. But no, this wasn't like weird, sketchy, like it was just like, look at the chests on these guys. Whoa. It's what I actually imagine Vince McMahon sounds like when he watches video of like people he doesn't know or maybe people that are in his company that he isn't aware that are there. Look at the size of that guy's triceps. My God, that's good shit. Well, yeah, I mean, given who he gives storylines to and. You know, who's allowed to not wear a shirt. Yeah, all right. Um, so uh, Doom won this match. There was obviously a lot of uh, shenanigans, chicanery. Uh, woman interfered or distracted Rick. Typical tag team stuff. I want to go back and watch some more Doom stuff. I, I, I was very just... I, I found myself just paying way more attention to woman than anything else in the ring. I mean, A, because I know it would eventually happen to her. But she was fucking gorgeous. I mean, her sparkly outfit that was like the asymmetrical cut and she had like the one like opera glove pulled up like all the way past her elbow is the sort of thing where it's like I, I just I realized that if I had actually seen this when I was a kid, like she would have become like my all-time idol i would have played dress up as her constantly was this was this your first exposure to one woman uh, it might it might be i mean i've been fa- I, i've clearly been like familiar with her but yeah i guess i mean as the younger performer but like before pre benoit yeah okay yeah cuz i've never i've never watched any of any of this shit really okay so we're gonna do some more WCW down down the road because she like she ends up hooking up with Flair for a while, not well maybe she did hook up with hook up with Flair but she's part of Flair's entourage at one point right and knowing that she was married to Kevin Sullivan, I'm like extra interested now as well. Yes, and again, right. woman dead. Everyone is dead. Uh, <laughs> moving on, it's kind to of like everyone is evil. Yeah, everyone is dead. Moving on to the next match, we had a promo before. Basically, all the promos now are just leading up to the next match, so I'm not even going to mention them anymore. Actually, I'm, that's not true. There's one more really bad promo coming up I do want to talk about. Next match was Lex Luger versus Brian Pillman. Brian Pillman? Dead. Lex Luger? Almost dead and may have killed Miss Elizabeth. So, again, everybody's dead. Um, I think this was Sarah's first exposure to these people. Well, to, to young... Lex Luger for sure. Okay. I, and I, I, his eyes are very far apart, and they don't look in the same direction. Uh, yeah, this match was for the uh, United States title. This match clocked in at just under seventeen minutes. Holy shit, that's a long goddamn match for Lex Luger. I mean, it's just a long match in general. Yeah, I mean, this was like a multi. Yeah. Anyway, um. Lex Luger, as I've, he's another one of those performers that I really liked when I was a kid. I guess like Vince and like the wrestling gods, like I guess they might be onto something because definitely like when I was a kid, like I liked Hogan, I liked Luger, I liked Sting, I liked the Ultimate Warrior. Hell, I even like Goldberg when he came out because this guy's jacked and like oh he just levels people. And now that I like I, I am older and I am much older, but like most of these guys couldn't goddamn wrestle the save their lives they're terrible performers yeah they're just big and like look cool i gotta watch some more luger stuff to see if maybe this was a fluke but pillman was a great in-ring guy i i liked pillman back when he was a kid i've always liked pillman um and if like the if luger pillman is kind of boring i can't really imagine what luger versus another luger type was like so like i said i'm gonna revisit this soon um of course brian pillman's son is on the uh is wrestling in some capacity yeah he's a wrestler well he's an mlw he's a member of the new heart foundation um and looks just like his father and i thought we had seen pillman but maybe we have not seen him live i I don't who knows pillman jr but pillman jr is awesome is rad 
Brian Pillman Sr. is great. We will find some other stuff later on. He does some really cool creative stuff. He never really gets to, like, he never gets to the point where he probably should have because, you know, drugs and stuff and dies dies young. and Dying will get in the way of your dying life. Dying prevents goals, for sure. But, like, to me, Brian Pillman is a person, if you watch a lot, if you watch a good chunk of Pillman stuff, you're going to see Kenny Omega. Like, you're going to see, like, oh, there's, like, a guy. Like, this is, like, one of the dudes that probably influenced him. Well, I mean, the poodle mullet was definitely an influence. And he trained in Calgary, so there's a... <laughs> I mean, something that was also sort of striking to me about Lex Luger and his physique and everything is that, I mean, he he's he has, like, what we might consider, like, the modern WWE sort of super jacked oily physique yeah he's like the traditional like what that's probably like if you put up a photo of a put a bunch of photos up of people and we're like pick the one that's a professional wrestler he'd definitely be one that people would be like oh that guy guy." as opposed to like bray wyatt right but i just it it just stood out so much and it just really made me reflect on just you know the 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 way that all of these sort of aesthetic s- standards have changed in, in in the last. I mean, God, how many years is this? Well, this is thirty years ago. God damn. Um, no, you're you're totally right. I mean, there's still. I mean, obviously, like we still look at the WWE pushing like Roman Reigns, who's I guess sort of a body guy, even though we can't tell because he wears a bulletproof vest. Well, because he doesn't look like Lex. Luger or anybody else like that so he's forced to wear this weird bulletproof vest but as we have seen in the previews for Hobbs and Shaw he looks good yeah I think uh, I'm sure he like I don't know I honestly if if I'm gonna make a guess he probably likes doing that because the amount of ab work he'd have to do to keep looking like he does in that movie probably. Oh yeah, and, probably. and having to you know skip all food. Yeah, like wearing a tank top or like wearing a bulletproof vest to the ring probably allows him to like eat a sandwich once a week or so. Mmm, sandwiches. Yeah, like when he's on that drive, he doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm just gonna eat like egg yolks out of a fucking out of the shell. Right. Like he actually goes to Subway and gets like a sub once in a while. That would be my guess anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, Luger's definitely like. We can we can investigate Luger more if you'd like, but he has a couple of stints in the WWE. He shows up as the narcissist, Nar- Nar- the narcissist, 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 narcissist. Well, there's narcissist, the the mythical figure, and then narcissists are the. I people. think it's narcissist. Okay. Like, and he shows up in like a cape with mirrors and like. Yeah, that that is that is the mythology. It's doing his like heel gimmick that you kind of saw tonight. And then he, they bring him back when Hogan leaves. They bring him back to be sort of a new Hogan, where he's like Mr. USA, and he goes on, he goes on a bus tour of the U.S. with like, and it says like the Lex Express with like American flags. Everything's and, a goddamn express. Yeah, sorry, hon. Uh, like he's wearing like American flag workout pants and stuff. And he ends up, he's the one that ends up body slamming Yokozuna. Our favorite Japanese sumo, who actually happens to be a Samoan member of the Samoan dynasty, um, he beats him and he body slams. Tight. Cool. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got for that. So yeah, this match was just the thing. It was kind of boring. Um, I feel bad that her first exposure to Brian Pillman was this. I mean, he was cool. He has a great mullet, like you said. Yeah. He came like, to the ring with really cheerleaders because he played pro football. Everyone is really into how they went to college. They're really pushing this, like, stay in school, get your degree angle. Well, I think back in this period, that got, a lot of these guys would... It was a lot more common for guys to have come from other places, whether it was pro football or college football or had done some sort of other sport. Now, granted, with guys like Kurt Angle, Ronda Rousey, Mark Henry, like, they do play up the, like, Olympic athlete, blah, 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 blah. But, like... They never really talk about Roman being a football player. Like they've acknowledged it, especially like when he like stepped away because of leukemia. But like the way that they sort of built up, like Brian Pillman like wore the bang like he wore Bengals printed trunks for a long time because he played in the NFL. I don't know for how long. Oh. But he like 
they like that this was like a common thing for them back then to be like well these guys this guy was an all-american at texas like they really played up the sports angle these guys are athletes like he played on this program like multiple times even in like going to the next match they mention the college the college sports history of a couple of the guys in this mm-hmm. and like lex luger had played at miami and got kicked out and went to and played in the cfl for whatever six years or seven years or something the series for cocaine don't disparage the canadian football league <laughs> our brothers to the no- north leave it all on the field uh yeah that's all uh, so the next match, so this is the the last promo I'm going to mention. So it's the Road Warriors with Paul, their longtime manager, Paul Ellering. Road Warriors, of course, being also the Legion of Doom. Um, so we have Doom, the Legion of Doom. Later in everything, there will be a Dungeon of Doom. There's just a lot of Doom. I kind of think they might have like a name generator type situation. And there's oh. like Express. You're, oh, yeah, you're just lucky Express. there wasn't a Doom Express. Can there be? Sure, we can start a team. Um, <laughs> so, the road, so the Road Warriors are backstage and doing their thing, their their pre-interview, and uh, in front of the stupid spooky tree, and the lighting is so bad that both Paul Ellering and the interviewer, who I think was Gordon Soley, didn't write it down. Are both at times completely overshadowed by the much larger members of the of the Road Warriors? Mm-hmm. I guess I'm probably just really spoiled by like modern production, right? Well, I mean, there were generally, you know, aesthetic and production values were not a priority from from what it looked like. Yeah, they were doing a thing. Yeah, we'll just hang up some freaking uh, clip lights that we got from Home Depot. It's fine. It's like it was from True Value. This predates Home Depot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it was the Road Warriors defeated the Skyscrapers. This in- incarnation of the Skyscrapers are Dan Spivey and Sid Vicious. Shortly after this, Sid Vicious will leave for the WWE, become Sid Justice. Dan Spivey was a also a member of the U.S. Express, as I had mentioned earlier. And part of me thinks he might have been in the Varsity Club, too. And I'm not going to click on it because I'm going to fall into a rabbit hole while I'm trying to talk, and it's just not productive. Um, because I know he was also a, an athlete at Georgia, because they mention it during the match. Um, but Dan Spivey was also later Waylon Mercy in the WWE, which was the sort of Cape Robert De Niro, Cape Fear character um, gimmick, which mm-hmm. went on to sort of influence the original Bray Wyatt character. Right. With the lantern. Yeah, the, the whole look and the... The Cape Feariness of it all. Yeah, the Cape Feariness of it. We just made up another word. Um... So yeah, when Sid Vicious leaves, he, of course, is replaced by mean Mark Callis, who leaves shortly after that and becomes the Undertaker, the WWE. Um, I'm really trying to get the timeline right. I need to pull this out. I didn't realize that Sid Vicious left for... It doesn't doesn't matter for the point of this conversation. And they were escorted to the ring by Teddy Long, who I think was Theodore Theodore Long at that point. Yeah, he was Theodore something. E. Long. His his entire ensemble was spectacular. You liked it? Yeah. I have no recollection as to why he carries a big gold key. I don't know if there was a reason he carried a big gold, gold key, but you were really into his actual outfit. Oh, yeah. No, he had like a bolo tie. He had a cool leather hat. It, it was a whole situation, and I was a big fan of it. Okay. Um, but I did notice, though, that, I mean, the Road Warriors are on a card with a Thunderdome match. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody just has a major, like, Mad Max hard-on, I guess. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the Road Warriors were the Road Warriors long before this. Yeah, the Thunderdome thing. Well, I mean, Mad Max... The Road Warrior came out well before. It was like 81. Sure. Yeah. Um, And also, I mean, Thunderdome came out like four years before this match. Yeah. But they're still just super into. And I noticed that in the previews of later Halloween Havocs, or maybe it was, was it Halloween Havoc? I don't know. It's other pay-per-views that they would have busted or spin the wheel, make a deal, matches. Yes, that was one of the ones we were looking at last night. Yeah. So, so the the Mad Maxery 
continues for years to come. Yeah, I think like when you find a gimmick, you just go with it. Like, oh, we can get our, in- we can be like influenced by this movie. There's a lot of good ideas. Like, we don't need another gimmick. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're definitely gonna watch the spin and spin the wheel, make a deal at some point. Which, by the way, yeah. MLW has brought back in the past couple of years. They've done. At oh least, no shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, so the Road Warriors won this match but uh, via disqualification because someone used the large gold key as a foreign object and attacked and hit somebody. And I mean, I would like to believe that they won because of the... I mean, th- this was a very special variation on the mullet that we saw where it was like it was three friggin' haircuts at the same time. It, it was like it was like spiky on top, like like a, you know, 80s action movie villain. And then, an, like, shaved on the sides, like a full-on undercut, and then just this disconnected drape happening in back. Dan Spidey was a, um, he had a really awesome 80s cut. I feel like most of his career had that sort of flat top with the the mullet going. It was very cool. I actually as- aspired to a haircut like that when I was a child. It's one of the things I can thank my parents for not letting me do because that's <laughs> horrific. Also, to make it even weirder or worse, it was that Spivey did not have a good hairline. Like he was already balding and his uh-huh. like it wasn't even hairline, so his flat top started way too far back unevenly. Yeah. yeah. I mean it just, it just there was a lot happening in general. Yeah. So uh, this I mean this match can I mean I love the Road Warriors. They're one of my favorite tag teams of all time. Um, that said, the match was better than I expected it to be. Spidey was better in the ring than I seem to remember. Even Sid was better than I, I, at this point in my mind, my only memories of Sid Vicious are the, like the leg breaking video. So I can't remember him doing anything else. I, there was a video of, uh, did he break someone's leg or break his leg? No, no, no. He broke his leg and it's like, there's like, it's, uh, uh, you can, you could find it. Like there's gifts of it. Like he broke his leg and his leg literally flips to the side. Ah! Oh, no. Yeah, it's one of those. Yeah. I mean, I'm still haunted because I accidentally saw the video of that that basketball player whose leg just like shatters underneath him. It was like one of those. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Uh, no. Yeah. No. I yeah. pass. Hard pass. Well, sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. What so what was the next See, that, that was a match. Did you like that match? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, it was cool. I mean, it, it it wasn't. It didn't feel as long as the other ones, probably because it wasn't as long as the other ones. Oh, okay. Sid Vicious did not leave for the WWE. He actually suffered a punctured lung, according to Wikipedia, and uh, that's how Mean Mark Callis ended up in the team. On the uh, yeah, in the team. Oh. Okay. Cool. And it doesn't look like he was in the Varsity Club. I just made that up, apparently. Um. Yeah, then we move on to the main event, which is the first Thunderdome match with Bruno San Martino as the referee. Um, when you think terrible gimmick matches, this is going to be at the top of the list. See, okay, I was expecting an actual dome, maybe dudes like suspended from it. This was like one level above Punjabi prison match. It was a weird cage with like some spooky stuff hanging on it. And then some of the spooky stuff caught fire, which was hard to tell if it was accidental or not. Yes. Okay. So that was, I think because the top of the ring was electrified, which they kept reminding you of. And at one point, I think it's Terry Funk grabs it and you hear like a, but I think that might short it out. But I'm assuming some of the weird props, because they had like what appeared to be like burlap sacks, mm-hmm. like you kind know, of around the corners. You know, spooky stuff. Yeah, there was some really bad gargoyles. Like it really like was decorated like a really terrible like elementary school haunted house. Somebody sent an intern to Party City, yeah. or or equivalent. Yeah, that th- whatever they had 30 years ago in Philly. Um, yeah, some no that was so that was a real fire because they're trying to put it out and then. Muta decides to spray his mist on it. And it's the only mist that we get for the entire match. Because he uses his mist on the fire, I guess. I, I... 
Because uh, when we saw him at PCW, yes, even in his advanced age, we got like three mists and a fireball. And that was just a bunch of nobodies watching him in like a longshoreman's hall in Long Beach, California, or Wilmington, I guess, technically. Wilmington, yeah. Um, I don't think he, I don't have any recollection of him doing the, uh, the flash, the fire thing. Oh, well, in W in WCW, oh. he I know he did it in other places, so I I wouldn't expect to see it in this context. But yeah, I think he used all of his mist up to put out this weird little fire at the beginning of the match. It's it's, it's weird because he's like twenty years old here or some shit. He's very young, and we saw him a little older than twenty. But we saw him relatively recently, and it seemed more like he was like prime Muta in that match. In the match 30 years ago? No, in the match, like, last year. He didn't do anything. He missed it, like, three times and then fireballed. But he didn't do anything else. He doesn't need to do anything else. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this match was Ric Flair and Sting with only Anderson as their Terminator or their second, which were the terms they kept using. Well, they, uh, were, just, they were just trying to get the word Terminator in there, I, I guess. think, because it's 89. They're just really mixing their movie references here. Against Great Muta and Terry Funk with Gary Hart as their second or Terminator. Um, the whole point of this thing was that the only way you could win was to have your guy throw in the towel. So why they didn't call them cornermen or managers, I don't know. Uh, um, probably because a uh, movie called The Terminator. Uh, sure. The Thunderdome is the wackest structure. Like, in, on paper, it's a cool idea. I mean, it's really the prototype for Hell in a Cell. Yeah. It was just with no roof. Right, but the, the whole thing with this, this structure coming in at the top is supposed to be so you can't climb out. Oh, yeah. And being electrified. Or even the, um, the elimination chamber, which is more of a dome, Sarah. Oh, it's true. It's also a toilet. Y yes. The match is often a toilet as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this was a 23-minute match. Again, yeah, Bruno San Martino was in this, and at the end of the match, of course, Muta tries to assault him, and San Martino knocks him out. Um, not really sure why he was there. Uh, the match is ridiculous. There's some cool spots in it. I mean, there's like... I, I, I mean, I can say pretty... Uh, there's four legends in the ring. Um, I mean, really, like, everybody involved in this match is pretty much legendary. Mm -hmm. Um I mean, Sting, I mean, I'll make fun of him for not being a great wrestler, but I mean, he was, he was good. I mean, yeah. He wasn't, you know, he didn't embarrass me like watching Lex Luger just embarrassed me. I mean, it was, it was funny from like, cause I'm, I'm always, when I think Sting going to think, you know, the nineties crow Sting. Right. So this is like watching, Sir. watching, just like watching someone before they went goth, you know, it's like when they were still a candy raver in mm -hmm. high school. And then by the time they become a senior, they've gone completely goth. Um, but I also thought it was cute that Ric Flair and Stang were tagging together. And then during their pre-match interview, they were both so clearly fucked up on cocaine. It was You just sort of knew what they were doing in order to sort of bond before the match and get ready to go. Yeah, it's weird to there's a, I again I, I get to look at the timeline because there's a weird sting flare dichotomy relationship. They kind of go back and forth between bitter rivals and friends a, a couple of times. Well, I mean, they definitely look a bit like an odd couple here. You know, it's like the candy raver and you know the mean girl in high school. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna the argue. rich the rich mean girl. Well, and that's actually sort of the basis of when he kind of gets brought into the four, four horsemen. That's part of the reason when they kind of turn on him is sort of like, you don't look like us. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. But yeah, that was it. That was a match. Um, it was, a, there was thing there. There was no mist. There was a fire to the bad thing. The camera angles are terrible. Like they keep, like they keep trying to film from the corners of the cage, but there's all the decorations. So you're just looking at a, the, Spook City USA gargoyle. Yeah, and I did notice that the like the the bars in the cage were pretty wide apart, 
I would imagine because it would be easier to shoot through. Yes. Um, and, and also get your leg caught for extra storytelling something. Right. When they said you couldn't get get through the top, um, you couldn't get over the top because of the way the cage was built. And then st- like within a minute, Sting climbs easily through one of the giant hole, one of the giant holes and is standing through it like he could just go through it. Mm. Um, also, I have no idea what that material like was like it kind of looked like the grate that you roll down in front of a store at the end of a day yeah like it wasn't a very heavy duty thing like mm. it swung around yeah. like yeah production values yeah again seems like even their their war games matches though i mean like those were better constructed than this shit show oh i guess the they developed better technology I, I'm just they still just regular fans. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just still like bummed that it wasn't an actual goddamn dome. The best part about this is, I think it was at the end of the match when you said, "This isn't a dome." <laughs> no, I said that immediately. Did you? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I realize I'm not always very uh, observant, but you know. Oh come on! Don't answer email. It was important. I mean, so that was the that was the end of the show. Yeah, and then it ended very abruptly. I, it, it it definitely felt like they were pretty, you know. Once a story got going, they could do it, but then the stories would all end very abruptly, or it's like nothing really ended. It just sort of stopped, like. I think I noted like several times throughout the show that um, some of like even like the three counts seemed like they went very fast. There were three counts like one, two, three. Okay, match is over. And and then even, you know, so the match ends. We've declared a winner and up now the show's done. You get that with WWE too, like when they're up against the a deadline, where they start like kind of hot shotting stuff and like moving stuff along, like because yeah, when you're on like a a network or whatever, and you've got you know it has to be done by ten o'clock, they start changing stuff and no having to speed things up. So that's not right. Television networks, which I've apparently already forgotten since cutting the cable cord. They're a thing. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that stood out to you? Any any real highlights? Oh, I just found a note I made to myself. The Thunderdome match at one point was referred to by the announcers as an Australian rules tag team match. Yes, Jim Ross said that because, of course, the rules kind of fall apart during the match where it became more of a Texas Tornado tag match, which I understand that that's like all the guys are in the ring at the same time. Oh. Like there's no tags it's just whatever. It's two teams. That's called a Texas tornado. I believe so. Okay. Um, versus like the uh, I believe like a lucha rule, like lucha rules tag. You don't actually have to tag your partner. Like if your partner jumps out of the ring, you can just go in. Oh. There doesn't need to be a tag. Um, I had never heard the term Australian rules. Well, I mean, before. I I assume Australian because of Mad Max. But I would also expect if something was Australian rules that it would involve a lot more kicking people in the dick. Or like a kangaroo or something. Definitely like a kangaroo coming in to just beat your ass. Yeah, I had, I had never heard that term before. In fact, I'm going to actually look cause at some point because I'm curious as to why Jim Ross called it Australian rules. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, that that's the sort of comment that I might expect from him like now. Oh, he's always been like this. <laughs> like I've been listening to Jim Ross call stuff for an easy 30 years. I mean, clearly, like, I remember this Halloween Havoc. I don't think I watched it live, mm-hmm. but I like I remember this. So like I'm 30 years into my relationship with Jim Ross. I'll like I'll look to find out when he landed on WCW, and that would be like my first. So it's a minimum of 30 years of Jim Ross in my life. He has always been like that. <laughs> Nothing has changed. He's a little slower at times. Like maybe he doesn't know guys' names and stuff, but yeah, this is pretty powerful. Well, I guess he's nothing if not consistent. Exactly. Well, nothing else? I mean, other than just, you know, the general aesthetic complaints. Thunderdome was neither thunder nor dome. They did have a thunder, like, track when they lowered the cage. Oh, well, 
oh great uh total waste of mists um oh yeah for anybody listening to this that doesn't know what the hell we're talking about uh, great great mutas sprays mist out of his mouth into opponent's eyes and that's how he generally wins matches and it's very cool because it's green he has different colors but yes i believe yeah i actually listened to another podcast last night where it was about the history of Jushin Thunder Liger as he's retiring, and they talked a lot about his feud with Muta, and they addressed the fact that there's different colors of mists. Oh, and different signifiers? Yes, they're different things. I would be very interested in this. As as I expected. (laughs) See, this is the sort of shit that I get into. Uh, Like, I mean, mean, you mentioned Jushin Thunder Liger. I mean, the first time we when we went to go see New Japan's first show in the U.S., I mean, that was... That was really my first real exposure to New Japan. And for the lights to go down and then they're blasting Nightwish out of the speakers. And then when the lights come back up, it's Jushin Thunder Liger at the ramp. And he looks like a goddamn Power Ranger. And I'm like, yes, this, this right here is everything I wanted. Okay, you're not wrong. So that was your first time actually seeing Liger? I think so. Oh, okay. Technically, it would have been your second because we didn't go to the first New Japan show. We watched the first one at home, oh. and then we went the second day. Whatever. But yeah, just for okay, because I I remember Liger was in WCW in that same period with Muta and La Parka. WCW had this really rad like, and they actually continued really until like they really went off the rails where. They always managed to keep a really cool undercard, which like the WD, I shouldn't say the WWE does not. They do, but they don't do anything with a lot of people. WCW was really good at having like Lex Luger and Sting and Flair and Sid Vicious and the Road version. Like these are the guys that are going to be on the last hour of the show. And the first hour of the show, they were like, oh, here's your Cruiserweight title and your TV title and your U.S. title. And they had Rey Mysterio and Jericho and Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit and Muta and Jushin Thunder Liger and, um, oh, God, I'm f- forgetting so many like cool people. But they had, like, they brought in, like, they had a lot, like, I my first exposure to, exposure to Lucha Libre is WCW because they had Lucha guys, like, same thing with Japan. Like they had guys come over. That's cool. Oh, Ultimo Dragon was one. I was gonna say I kept wanting to say Dragon Lee, and I was like, that's definitely not the right guy. But Ultimo Dragon. Okay. They had, so they they did a really good job of like the first hour of a show or the first half hour of a short show or whatever. You'd see matches with like lots of cool people that were like, oh, this is really cool. Like even if the match didn't mean anything, they had four or five matches that you were like, oh, that was a good match. Like, you just get exposure to stuff. Yeah, like, oh, Brian Pillman versus Muda. Like, that was fucking cool. Doesn't mean anything, but, like, moving on. And then, like, later on, yeah, you're going to get your grudge, you know, you looked at my girlfriend, now I'm fighting you for the title, Hogan. Like, you get that shit later. But they always did a good job of that. They didn't have a three-hour show that was the same story all the way through. Mm. Yeah. That's the sort of thing that I yearn for. Because, I mean, this like, this sort of thing is my idea of ridiculous. And, and by ridiculous, I mean, I don't mean that as, like, a bad thing. You mean ridiculous in the, in the actual kind of definition of it's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. I find that to be fun. Yes, I, I understand that. And I fun appreci- is fun. I do appreciate that. But like that's that's what I'm in for, you know. I want I want to be entertained. I'm with you. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna watch another pay per view soon. Probably pop one of these out next month or something. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of wrestling things that we're gonna do in the future, so we'll do those. Yeah. Um, I guess we're gonna wrap this one up. I'll have some more guests soon. Um, do some other stuff. Probably not talk about wrestling. Maybe talk about music. With somebody? I don't know. Music is cool. I like music. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but that's uh, that's going to conclude this episode. Thank you for hanging out with us. This was Talk Among Us. 
rate, subscribe, et cetera, et cetera. You can find me on social media. Just check the link. Um, Mark J. Vieira on pretty much all platforms. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. So, cool. cool. Thanks. And Sarah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to come to the studio. Oh, yeah. The studio that is our living room. Yep. With our, our engineer, Gary the Fat Cat. Yeah, he's assisting. And now we can actually put the uh, air conditioner back on. I'm very excited about this. Oh, thank God. All right. Thanks for stopping by.